Hey folks, we are here live at Jamstack Conf in uh, San Francisco. I almost said Salt Lake City. <laughs> uh, that's where I'm going Friday night. I'm going back home. We're here with Mandy Michael. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give you full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. You just spoke, right? I did, yeah. I spoke about variable fonts and responsive typography. Oh, that sounds interesting. Mm-hmm. It's not something I really think about when I'm thinking about making things mobile-friendly, right? It's just like cram everything onto the page in the right size so you don't have to scroll left, right? Actually, one of the things that I talk about with the um, variable fonts is that... Do you know much about variable fonts? Nope. Okay, so a variable font is... It's one font file that has multiple style variations in uh -huh. it, so it might be like all of the weights of a font Right. can also have all of the, the width, like condensed uh -huh. or, or wide. So when you use a variable font, you get these interpolated values so you can like transition and animate between things. Okay. But it also means that when you're making a responsive website, if the viewport is getting smaller, you can just like squish it in a little bit mm -hmm. so you don't have to have things stacking or wrapping right. where you don't want them to and you can kind of fit to width. Oh, nice. Um, which is kind of a difficult thing for us to do with normal fonts at the moment because it, it's a bit janky and mm -hmm. it feels really clunky. But variable fonts take away all the jank and just make it really smooth and feel really natural. So they're really, really awesome when you're creating responsive websites. And I, I talked, that was one of the things I talked about. Do you know the CSS is awesome meme where awesome flows out of the box? Uh -uh. It's like a classic CSS joke right. about how CSS is awesome, but it doesn't fit in the box. Um, uh -huh. With variable fonts, you can just like squish that in so it right. all fits. It's awesome. So what makes a font a variable font? So they're specifically made, like it's a it's an open type specification. They, you know, OTF, TrueType, WAF2, all those formats are still, still valid, but they're specifically made um, using this new specification. Okay. Um, so whoever makes the font has to make it have the axes and create the interpolation, and then, you know, you, you provide them. So it, it's not like you can convert a font to a variable uh -huh. font. You actually have to make it that way. I gotcha. So let's say that I find a variable font that I want to use. Do I just included on my website the same way I do the other ones? Or? Yeah, yeah, it's totally exactly the same. You still use font face, but the way that you define variations for descriptors like font weight or font stretch, that's slightly different. So at the moment, you would do a different font face block for each different style. 
with a variable font, you can just define a range. So you can mm -hmm. say my font weight is 200 to 900. Right. And then you can access all of the values between 200 and 900, including decimal places. And that's how you get the, the smooth transitions if you want to. So it's really similar, just a slight difference. Google Fonts supports them as well. They've got a new API that they released about a month ago. Okay. And that allows you to specify access value groups in uh, variable fonts. Uh-huh. So they've got like a handful of fonts you can use. So yeah, it's pretty similar. It doesn't change very much, which I think is a really powerful design of the specification. Gotcha. I think Matt said yesterday they want to make, you know, developer experience easier so uh -huh. people can focus on the users. Right. And I think the way variable fonts have been implemented do that. Like mm -hmm. you don't have to worry about the technical implementation. Right. You can just focus on how you can use it and make things better for people that are using your sites. Very cool. So, I mean, is that it? Is that all I have to know is just, oh, go find a variable font and then I can squish things in or stretch them out to make them fit? I mean, yeah, you can do that kind of stuff. But also um, one of the things that I like to do, because I'm not, like, I don't make fonts. I'm right. not a web typography expert. I just like to play with things. Uh -huh. So I like to hook them into different browser sensors like okay. ambient light or device orientation and then control oh, okay. the fonts based on those inputs. Oh, I gotcha. Or scroll mm -hmm. or mouse position because that allows you to create these really engaging interactive experiences. Like one of the demos I showed was using speech recognition mm -hmm. and there's a dragon and he breathes fire and you say a word like fire and he'll breathe text and it'll say fire oh, and cool. it'll be like flaming animated text. Nice. Or like there's another one that uses the web audio API where it listens to the volume of my voice input and the font will change depending on how oh, okay. loud I am. So because you have that interpolation and you can create those transitions and animations, it means that you can create more interesting experiences and you can fine tune things or change it based right. on different environments and inputs. Uh, and to me, that is really, really exciting. Creating custom interactive experiences based on a user's situation. Mm -hmm. That's something that we're only really starting to get to do now. Right. Another one that I like, do you mind if I tell you some Go more? Go ahead, yeah. Yeah, so there's another one that's uh, the ambient light sensor. Um, so you know on your phone when you're in a low light environment uh -huh. and it dims? Right. You can use the ambient light sensor on your laptop or your phone to change like the weight or style of the font depending mm -hmm. on how dark or, or bright it is. So from a practical perspective, if you're going to try and improve contrast, you can make the weight a bit heavier in low right. light environments so it's more legible and more readable. Oh, nice. Or, which is what I like to do, you could change the whole mood and experience of your website mm -hmm. based on if it was really dark, maybe like one of my examples, the text like oozes because it's like slime. Right. So you could make like a scary mood and a really fun and bright oh, nice. mood and you can do like uh -huh. fun and interactive things with like games and storytelling. And I love the idea of being able to change the experience of your site based on right. specific individual user circumstances. I think that's really fun and really exciting. So those are the kind yeah. of things that I do. No, that's awesome. And I, I love the idea. We, we had a conversation a month or two ago on JavaScript Jabber, and we were talking about essentially what, what is JavaScript, right? One of our panelists, Amy Knight, she basically said, well, JavaScript for me is the way I tell stories. Yeah. And so, yeah, this is just another aspect of that, right, where it's, it's not necessarily then the story of how somebody gets a particular thing done, but it's it's the feel, it's the it's the flavor of your site. Yeah, totally, totally. You know, at the moment when we do that stuff, it's usually like illustrations mm -hmm. or stuff like that. 
because doing that with text outside of uh, SVG is pretty much impossible right. with a standard font. So variable fonts allow us to bring all of that experience mm-hmm. and that storytelling in with the actual text, which is often what we're actually using to tell right. stories. Like all of our sites mm-hmm. use text to convey meaning. Right. And we can't do that as effectively at the moment because the fonts are so static and, and right. not very dynamic. But now with variable fonts, you, you can have that and you can create those beautiful experiences with JavaScript, with CSS. Um, and you can, I just think that's really fun and, yeah. and really exciting. And I think I said at the end of my talk, we're in a really good place right now with JavaScript and CSS to create really amazing things. Right. And I just want to see people do that, you know, and experiment yeah. and have fun and, and tell good stories and create good experiences, I guess. Yeah, it makes sense. And, and I love all the fun examples you gave, but even for the sort of regular business use that, you know, maybe it wouldn't be appropriate to make it drips, right? <laughs> You know, you, you can still create the legibility, the readability, mm-hmm. the flow of the website and things like that and manage it. You did mention that, you know, you, you worked on like orientation and things like that. Were those just media queries or? Uh, no. So, um, you know how phones have like a gyroscope? Uh-huh. So, I use JavaScript to get the device position. So, the oh, device okay. orientation has like three different uh, axes. Right. And you can hook into those and then you just pass that data, do a little bit of JavaScript and mm-hmm. um you can interact with the fonts based on that gotcha. position. You have to request permission to get that? Only on iOS 13. Okay. Um, so on Android, it works fine. On iOS 13, there's you have to request permission now, but it's kind of like with webcam or right. audio. It pops up with a little thing yeah. and you just go, yep. Uh, so, I mean, it's kind of a pain because it would be nice if it just kind of worked. Mm-hmm. And it used to work. When right. I actually made most of my demos, you didn't need to request permission. <laughs> um, and then I made one about a month ago. Right. And when I released it, because I have an older iPhone, mm-hmm. it works fine. Right. But anyone who had iOS 13 was like, this doesn't work. I was like, ugh. Surprise. I got to gotta <laughs> add a button for, for the iOS 13 people so they can see the effect. Um, yeah. So, yeah, the security on some of the stuff requires permission. Um, yeah. But, but I, you know, I think there are ways around that. I, I don't, wouldn't want people to not experiment and have fun with it just because of that. Right. People are pretty used to that with microphones and, mm-hmm. and webcams and stuff like that. Yep. It's fun. Cool. So are there things that you're trying to do with it now that you haven't quite gotten to work? Yeah. So the web audio stuff, what I really want to do is hook in speech recognition to web audio mm-hmm. so that when you speak it will interpret like the volume or the pitch or the tone right. so that you can change the speech to text. Mm-hmm. So instead of just having text that all looks the same, right. I want it to try and convey some of the intent and volume right. um, and meaning behind my words. But combining speech recognition and web audio doesn't work very well. Um, speech mm-hmm. recognition is still really new. Um, Chrome has it. Firefox will have it, I think, at the end of the month, but they don't align and there's no, like, audio data from speech recognition, so trying to get them to align is quite tricky. I'm thinking maybe I could use, like, machine learning or something instead. That's what Mm -hmm. I'm going to try next, to try and use machine learning to listen to what I'm saying and try and um, represent my text, Mm -hmm. speech to text, in in a more meaningful way, because I think... You know, with Google Home and Alexa and people using voice interfaces a lot more, it would be great if you didn't lose all of that meaning that people Mm -hmm. 
push through with their voice, I, I'd love to be able to represent that. And variable fonts enable that. It's just the technology to detect it does, isn't really there. Right. Well, they'll, they'll get that figured out on Alexa, and then they're going to think I'm, a, I'm an angry person. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm always like, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean... Maybe you want people to know that that you're, uh, you know, you want people to know yeah. that you're upset or, or angry or happy or yeah. excited. No, and my, my kids play music on it all the time. And I was like, you know, after like the sixth time of turning off the noise, right, I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, kids going to kid, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They're yeah. going to have fun with that. But I mean, I think, it, I think that yeah. kind of stuff would be fun. And, you know, we get new APIs and, and stuff all the time. So I, li- I just like playing with sensors yeah. and input from the user and the environment like i think that's yeah that's well, exciting and my kids would love that where we're talking in funny yeah. way right and have it change the shape of the font yeah. or the color of the font and exactly. the size of the font yeah exactly. they'd sit there all day and just watch it do weird yeah, stuff in front of them totally and that's what i think is fun about it because you know I, I don't know if you've heard some of the people talk about how the web is dying and it's all about apps but i feel like it doesn't need to be like that sometimes i think we forget about um all of the fun things that mm-hmm. we can do on the web and maybe you know rather than just creating all of these games and experiences uh-huh. in apps and consoles and stuff use the web for that fun stuff again like we did in the early days Mm -hmm. when we were experimenting and javascript gives us so much cool stuff that we can play with now i just don't understand why more people aren't creating these yeah well fun things and i I think i've heard the sentiment that the web is dying but i look at it and I, i don't know if i agree with that sentiment so much it's just that we have so many more capabilities now with the devices that we use to connect to it. Totally. That it's changing, right? So yeah. it's, it's not the same as what we were doing 10 years ago or yeah, even five absolutely. years ago. And so, yeah, you know, the, these options and just the, the availability of, of what we can do with it. Yeah, I mean, that, that's going to continue to grow. I and, hope so. And, and this is just one aspect of that. Now, one of my favorite things to talk to speakers about is, you know, you had, what, 25 minutes, 30 minutes to give 30 a talk? 30 minutes. Yeah. And my experience as a speaker is that I prepare my 30-minute talk, and then I practice it a couple of times, and then I cut 30 minutes out of it so I can make my 30-minute time frame. So what did you drop? What, what did you have to cut out of your talk? Mostly detail. So for this version of the talk, uh, I wanted to be a bit more broad and not get deep into specifics right. of things. Because, yeah, get people out there to try it, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, like, there's a whole... I have a... I could talk for a whole 30 minutes just on Mm -hmm. performance with variable fonts right so i cut a whole bunch of stuff on um specific things you can do with variable fonts to improve performance like Mm -hmm. um there's one thing that isn't really a thing at the moment but i think would be really great is you know when uh you load a font on a website and first it loads like a fallback font Mm -hmm. like arial and then it like switches and there's like a bit of a jump yeah everything kind of yeah, yeah, it reflows. Yeah, but that was the word I was looking for. Thank you. <laughs> I, I knew what you were going for, like, totally. I waved my hands in the air and she translated. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, it was spectacular. Communication, language, yeah. it's amazing. One of the things that I'd love to see is if systems, are like operating systems, had a variable font, 
that you can control like the width and the, the height and mm -hmm. the size of to match your custom font right. so that when it's switched in, there was no reflow and no jank. Right. So you'd still see like a bit of a switch with the letters, mm -hmm. but you wouldn't get repainting or anything like that in the browser because it wouldn't change the space that it's taking up. Right. So that I think would be really cool. A lot of other performance-y based stuff around font display and variable fonts and right. stuff, but it's not like... It's very similar to what you do with web fonts at the moment. So I cut that and I had to cut a couple of demos. Like I have one with a wizard called mm -hmm. Smello and he's a grumpy wizard. <laughs> and you do a spell and like, so you use the speech recognition and you say a spell and he'll write text in the sky. Like it'll, mm -hmm. and then it's like all magic and sparkles drop. But he only does it if it's dark enough. So if it's too bright in the room, he'll be like, nah. It's too too light for, for magic. I'm only going to do this in the dark. Um, but, I, but it takes too long to like go through the whole process, so I right. had to cut that. And there's a few other demos that I had to cut. I had to cut the whole detail about the Google Fonts API because just running through that is right. a bit tricky. Um, specifics on how I animated some of the effects that I showed, I had to cut some of that down. So it was really very top-level stuff, and I didn't right. go into like specifics on how to build up variable fonts, mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. Right. So the detail, a little bit of the detail got lost, but I have a website called variablefonts.dev and a lot of that stuff's on there anyway, so people can check that yeah. out if they want to. I was going to ask if there was a place where people could see the demos, so yeah. Yeah, well, all the most of the demos are up on CodePen. There's a couple that I can't because of font licensing, so... I gotcha. Because I play a lot with them and I make a bunch of demos sometimes um, font foundries will send me a font and I can like make a demo for them and put it in my talks right. but because of the licensing issues like I can't right. show them publicly some of them I will put up on my website because I can restrict it to the domain but mm -hmm. I can't put it on CodePen because right. you know it's a more public thing but yeah pretty much all of the demos are up on CodePen so people can go and check them out there's like a collection called Variable Font Experiments mm -hmm. and they're all in there and I just keep adding to it over time right yeah, which is fun cool so if people want to uh, get in touch with you or follow you on the web is there a good place to do that Twitter is probably the best place to get in touch with me I don't I don't really email or right. like LinkedIn or any of that kind of stuff really Twitter is where I'm at my Twitter is unfortunately not Mandy Weichel it's Mandy underscore Kerr people can come and find me there and most of the time I respond to DMs like if I see them mm -hmm. otherwise people can tweet at me you can also right. message me on CodePen but I'm less likely to see that right. Twitter's really where it's at for me right I love Twitter can, can you spell that for us M-A-N-D-Y uh -huh. underscore Kerr K-E-R-R -R. okay yeah I'm dressed as Batgirl so I'm really easy to find. oh nice yeah I love Batman <laughs> Um, it's legit me dressed as Batgirl on my Twitter profile. Nice. Um, except for on October 31st. On that day, I change it to be normal professional Mandy because it's Halloween and I've got right. to like, you know. Your alter ego. Yeah, my yeah. alter ego comes out. So, yeah, should be easy to find except on that day. Good deal. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for coming and, and talking through this with us. It, it's really cool. It's something I want to go play with now. So. Yeah, awesome. Um, thanks so much for having me. It's been fun. Yeah, no problem. Cool. All right. Thank you. Thanks. Hey, folks, this is Charles Maxwood, and I just launched my book, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. It's up on Amazon. We self-published it. I would love your support. If you want to go check it out, you can find it there. The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. Have a good one. Max out.
We're still here live at Jamstack Conf in San Francisco, and I'm sitting here with Sean, is it Urquhart? Urquhart, yeah. Why don't you just tell us a little about yourself? Cool. Well, uh, yeah, I work for Netlify. I run the Netlify CMS open source project. I've been in development for about 10 years, pretty much all front end. I've done a little bit of everything. I've done the big big corporate stuff. I've done freelance. Um, I've been with Netlify for about two and a half years. I've been leading the Netlify CMS project the whole time. Um, And so my focus has been the Jamstack and using Git-based content management to simplify the CMS story for Jamstack. Right. That makes sense. Yeah, it's actually interesting because I've talked to some of the sponsors here at JamstackConf and some of the CMS vendors, they, yeah, they they have a back end that's not Git, right? Right. It's a custom back end. Yeah. As I talked to them, I was like, you know what, I kind of need it on Git because, you know, we're, we're doing a Jamstack site for devchat.tv and I want people to be able to submit pull requests and things like that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so it works, it works really well for that. Um, and it's, you know, kind of what I went over in my talk is, and it's a story that we just, we really have to start telling a lot where, you know, a static site generator really already knows what it wants. It's already mm-hmm. really opinionated and so it wants to see Markdown, fi- and again, this isn't, you know, there's some like Gatsby and some, and uh, right. uh, what's the other, Nuxt, uh, Gridsum yeah. um, that are uh, pretty futuristic and so they, they can take content from anywhere. And, yeah. Um, but generally static site generators want to see Markdown and YAML files sitting in your repo and so the idea was always that uh, you know a developer can write those things and they're happy to write them and so you, you don't really need a content management system right. but at scale you do everyone isn't going to yeah. write those things everyone doesn't know Git and so you just have this little job where you need someone to be able to type things into a traditional CMS UI and then out the other side you get that markdown and all that stuff in yep. the file system and then Git provides that bridge you have your repo in GitHub and mm-hmm. you're able to just basically build blobs and trees and push commits yeah for our team for example we have six show notes writers mm-hmm. and content manager all of those people are not developers right, right. and so right. yeah i tried to get them to learn markdown and then i gave up on trying to get them to learn markdown <laughs> you know i've heard you, i'm sure you've heard this story before right oh yeah and so i'm like okay so i need something else right and we were on wordpress before but sure. managing wordpress was a headache and i was yeah. the one that had to do it so we hooked netlify cms up and it worked pretty well there are a few things i wish it did that it sure. doesn't sure but it's like okay you know just go in and yeah yep. It's interesting. It's still a pretty nascent space, you yeah. know, and one of the interesting things about Git-based content management is that it makes a lot of old problems new again, problems right. that have long been solved, and I've heard people kind of gripe about this, and I, I, I can't say I disagree. For example, simple things like relations. Mm-hmm. I create an author in WordPress, and then, you know, I can assign that author to a post. Like, mm-hmm. that's, you have a relational database sitting there. It's very simple, but when everything is in Git, it's not as simple. There are a lot of edge cases and a lot of weird things. There's how many requests do I need to make to get everything I need. Um, So it's very doable, but again, it's a new problem. We don't have all the the perfect solutions. And so um, people come in, they like the value proposition and then they, but then they run into some things and they go, "Eh, I'm going to, I'm going to go back to WordPress or I'm going to, I'm going to use this headless CMS over there. So, you know, so it's, it's still pretty new. It's got some, some growing pains. Yep. I think the thing that I'm running into is something very similar to that where you know, we have podcast hosts. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I have a bunch of metadata for it. Same thing with the podcasts themselves, right? Right, right? I've got, you know, here's where the image is stored. Here's where the, here's the title. Here's, you know, all this other information about it. And Netlify CMS works really well for managing those markdown files, but it doesn't really give me a good way of managing the data files. Is it one markdown file and one data file per episode? 
No. Oh, because you have one data file with a bunch of metadata for different episodes. No. The metadata goes into the markdown file for okay. the episode, okay. but the podcast itself, the overarching show, all oh, the metadata okay. for that goes into its own file. Oh, okay. Gotcha. And so if I want to create a new show, it'd be nice if I could just go in and say, okay, you know, create a new data file for it. Uh-huh. Yeah. You should be able to. If you send me some info, I can, I'd be happy to help you. Awesome. <laughs> they go I found myself ending a lot of conversations that way with people here. Yeah. We go through stuff and they say, well, I tried it, but I ran into this. I'm like, well, send me your info. <laughs> yeah. So I'll help you out. But that's really what it comes down to for me is I, I, need, to, I need to stay on top of, you know, implementing it over and over oh, yeah. again so I can stay close to what people are actually experiencing, yep. you know? So. Yep. But uh, I've been pretty impressed with just how robust it is. Nice. Because, you know, my, my team, they can put in whatever it is that we need for the show and it, right, right. you know it goes in and then of course I'm the nerd that goes in and edits the markdown directly right, right. <laughs> yeah you know, CMS yeah edit the markdown with git based content management we had I don't know if I should this is being recorded I'm going to say it anyway I had when I first started at Netlify I wanted to make a blog post called Netlify CMS sucks and our, our uh-huh. co-founder Chris just didn't laugh didn't think it was I never brought it up again but my my, and of course I don't think it sucks but my my point was we kept having all these people come in and say oh well WordPress does this oh well this does that and it's like if you don't value git based content management Mm -hmm. if that's not the reason you're here go use a different CMS oh yeah because it's that's the value proposition, and you're going to give up a few things for the sake of having that Git-based story that I went yeah. over in the talk. You have this tiny CMS; it lives on a CDN. I mean, it's all simple, that stuff. it's clean, it's yeah. nice. It's, yeah. a, it's almost a non-entity in your stack. You could you could add Netlify CMS today and remove it tomorrow, and you'd never even know it was there. You know, and that's kind of the beauty of it. And yep. So we're and and you know as we go forward, we're working on the robustness and all that. But yeah, the, the Git base is the value. So if you, right. if you value that, maybe it's worth it. You know? Yeah. And if I remember right, it actually connects to the GitHub API and yep. Yeah, we got a, we have a backend registration where you can. Um, so we have a GitHub backend, a, a Bitbucket, GitLab. A lot of the community contributed to those. We have one of our uh, Tony Alves, one of our longtime maintainers. He created a Firebase backend. Oh wow! For Netlify CMS, I'm like David Tony. This is not what we're doing here, but it, it works yeah. though. You know, it can. T- it's really just you know whatever API you want. I think. And I think one. They ultimately, I don't talk about it because it, you know, but, but down the road, it should be able to work with any kind of API. Right. You know, that, that makes sense. But right now, there's, I mean, we have to tell this Git story because it's hard for people to even wrap their heads around just that, just yeah. that part of it. You know, I was talking to the Forestry team about that earlier. Like, we have to get this Git-based content management story out. And once we can really, once that's a thing that people are talking about, then we can look at, yeah. hey, Netlify CMS is actually a dashboard that can pretty much do anything. So right now, we just really want to empower like Firebase. Right. <laughs> sure. Do it. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's pretty. It's pretty interesting, though. The possibilities. So. Yeah, it makes sense. What's kind of the genesis of this? Was it your idea? Was it somebody no. else's idea? And you no. built it? Or? No, it was our Matt Billman, our CEO, uh-huh. who is uh, <laughs> responsible for for so so much. Uh, he actually wrote multiple content management systems. Right. Uh, over, you know, he worked at an agency where they had I can't remember the number. Uh, it's gotten into legend now. It's like twelve thousand sites a year, but it was some crazy amount uh-huh. of volume they were doing. And he built this uh, kind of in-house CMS for that. Turned into a service called WebPop. I think he built another one at some point. So when he was starting Netlify, he created Netlify CMS in Ember and right. just kind of put it together. It did the job. But the whole the whole point was it was never about 
you know, making a play to have this CMS that's the best CMS. Right. It was always about, hey, look, Git-based content management is a thing. Mm -hmm. And it can be done in a way that's open source so that, because when people come onto the Jamstack, invariably, one of the first questions they ask is, well, what do I do about content management? Right. So we wanted to have an easy open source answer mm -hmm. for that that was supported. And so we provided that and we've continued to support it. It's always been, you know, myself and, and one other guy since like, you know, early 2017 when I came right. on board. And that's kind of been it. So just enough, enough investment that's, it's a solid investment, but it's right. enough to just kind of keep things moving and keep momentum and, and be able to support the community. We have a great, great community. Um, I think we're up to well over 200 uh, contributors to the repo so mm -hmm. far and, and a whole, whole lot of downloads. So it's, it's gotten a lot of traction. So Nice. So I, I guess the other thing that I'm wondering about is you said that it was originally built in Ember or a version of it was built in Ember. It was, yeah. It was originally in Ember. And because of the atomic deploys on Netlify, that, that version can still, you can still load it. We have a link somewhere. You can pull it up. Right. But we ended up moving over to React before, right before I got there. I think it was uh, Brian Douglas uh, who used to work with us. <laughs> Somebody else's pain. He, We've had Brian it. on the show before. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody loves B. Dougie. And he was the one, I, I believe, that was, uh, that actually took the thing and pulled it from Ember over to React, mm -hmm. which I think was a great move. The React community has so much momentum and uh, so great to work with. And, and so we've, you know, Nellify CMS is really, it's a React single page app. We're going to eventually get it to where it, the whole CMS is a React component. <laughs> and, oh, nice. uh, and then everything that's in it is, is already a component. All the widgets that you register, mm -hmm. it, they're all components. And so it's just, it's a very, very front end way to do things. Right. So. So I guess the other question I have then is, is you're talking about it being open source and, you know, it's a single page app and it's just deployed out there on Netlify like anything else. Sure, sure. So... Is this something I could run on my own? It doesn't have to be run on Netlify. Yeah, you can you can run it however you want. It's it's literally just a, a you know a JavaScript file that we're bundling with Webpack. You can build it anywhere. You can have your own fork of it that you know bypasses our backend system mm -hmm. and you know does anything. I mean, again, really, it's just it's just a React UI, right? Um, and we just happen to be using it to reach out to these specific APIs to to handle things. But I mean, there's there's really not a lot of limits if you wanted to run it. Yours. I mean, there are people that are running it on S3. If you go uh -huh. into our and we've been and we've been really intentional about that. We're trying to change the name, actually. We don't we don't want people to think that people come to Netlify and Netlify is this amazing platform doing all right. these great things and there's all these engineers and people that are investing in it. And Netlify CMS, we're not. It's not the same thing. And so people right. see all the quality of Netlify and they come to Netlify CMS and mm -hmm. it doesn't quite do what they need. And then they and they go to the support team and they're and they're like, well, we don't really. And so we're we're trying to say, look, you know, we support this initiative. But not only do you not have to use Netlify, you can use this thing anywhere. Right. So in the docs, we have links to different things that people have created to be able to run this on, um, like I said, Amazon S3 was one of them. I'm trying to think of some, I'm blanking on, on the others, but there's, you can run it Docker literally container. anywhere. You can be literally anywhere. <laughs> yeah. So, so. yeah, Google, what is it? I can't remember, but yeah. Google cloud, something or other. Cloud, <laughs> cloud, Google Cloud Platform. Sure. My, my brain was going to GCP and I couldn't uh, remember what it stood for. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or Microsoft Azure. Yeah, exactly. You can you really could run it anywhere yeah. they can host us you know those those static files and then they can you know right right now the back ends go we, we're going for where people are so github bitbucket mm -hmm. gitlab are the ones we have now right. uh, we have a lot of requests to get i think it's there's a amazon has their own kind of git provider and so right. that's you know that's something that we'd like to see hopefully come from the community and then uh there was a lot of ask for uh, microsoft's thing as well but that's kind of died yeah, down as your devops yeah 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 that's died down since yes. they 
acquired a certain yeah they acquired <laughs> github so, so that's not i still hear that. people having angst about it <laughs> but they haven't done anything horrible with yeah. it yet so when i went on to microsoft a few months ago and i, and saw a, I went on to i think i was working on an azure pipeline and i saw a sign in with github link and i was like this is the weirdest thing i have ever seen on the internet this is so <laughs> strange but it's yeah my yeah. i mean it's yeah microsoft has really embraced open source so it's, if somebody to had to acquire GitHub, I mean, okay, Microsoft. Yeah. <laughs> like that's, you know, they've, they've kind of proven themselves as, as much as you could ask them to. Yeah. Well, and you hear scary surveillance stories about Google or Facebook or some of these others. And, sure. Yeah. You know. Yeah. It's, that's a tough rap to beat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. So. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying Microsoft isn't doing it, but I'm not hearing right, right. any scary stories. We just don't know. So yeah. that's that's better. Yeah. Yeah, they're either sneakier or they're right. not doing it. Anyway. I'm sure it's okay. There we go. Conspiracy theories uh -huh. on JavaScript Jabber. But yeah, that makes sense. So, so I'm kind of envisioning, because, you know, I've kind of been an ops guy okay. for a long time. Awesome. You know, and then I was a Ruby developer and... You know, then I've done a bunch of JavaScript on the front end. And so, yeah, just kind of this movement, you know, I like to control the tool chain. Mm -hmm. And since we're using Netlify CMS on Netlify, I'm just sitting here going, yeah, but what if we could put it on our own thing, right? And so, Run it from a server in my basement. That's right. And so, you know, yeah, I just, it, it was kind of a curiosity for me. Sure. So is there a backend for it then that, you know, just manages the connection to GitHub or whatever? Yeah, I mean, the, and what we call a backend, you know, again, this this whole thing runs uh, in a JavaScript file in your browser. So when we right. say, you know, quote unquote, backend, we're just talking about a file that is mapping from, you know, GitHub, for example, from their API to a common set of methods that right. we expect from every backend. Yeah, I'm guessing so, it's an Express app or something. Right. Well, it's not even that. It's really just, um, it's just, it could, because you can make, you can call to GitHub's API. We need to auth through somewhere. Oh, I see. So you've just done just We're going straight from the browser. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, and Netlify actually provides a freebie auth server that you can use with localhost. And then if you have a Netlify site, then you can register a auth for that. And so, mm -hmm. That takes care of that because that's always the tricky part is the authentication. But you know, Netlify kind of takes care of that for you, and then you can uh, from there go straight from the browser to GitHub or to Bitbucket and right. make those API calls and do all right. that stuff. So that that's where everything is happening. The, no, that makes sense because the then it just there. makes the API call, and since you've already got an authentication token with GitHub, then it mm -hmm. just works. Yep, exactly, exactly. So you don't have to play with the backend at all. No. That, no, that, that makes yeah. a lot of people who are front end people very happy. It's very, it's very empowering. Yeah. <laughs> it just works. But again, you know, we're just we're looking at Git, and and these Git providers are really implementing Git in their APIs. And I mean, GitHub is, I mean, they're so great to work with their API. There's oh, so yeah. much you can do. Can't tell you how many crazy things I've wanted to do. And this is this is the V3. This isn't even to speak to the the work they're doing on their new GraphQL API. Right. Even with V3, there's some crazy you know Git commands that you can pull off through GitHub's API and right. it's, it's so super helpful and, and then now with the GraphQL API you can really reduce a ton of those we were that's the thing we're seeing now is we have we're, we're bringing on a new uh, full-time maintainer now named Arez and before we started hiring for that position Arez like before we even posted it because he wasn't really trying to get a job or anything but he, he just showed up he rewrote our GitHub backend, which is one of the most 
you know, difficult to work with areas of the entire code right. base, he completely rewrote it to to work with the GraphQL API, which was something that I wanted to do. I was like, I don't have time to rewrite this. Right. Thing. But he did it. And, and it so, works. Yeah. And he was like, well, I was I implemented it for my uh, someone that was, you know, had a site and I saw all these requests and I was like, well, how can we make this better? And so he just did it. So nice. it's using the, it, it, it's in beta, but it's, you know, it's using the GraphQL API. And so now it's using way less requests. So using uh, Git APIs over the web is getting better mm -hmm. and more and more viable. And so, so yeah, it's pretty exciting. <laughs> Nice. I guess the other question I have then is if people want to contribute to it, right? They mm -hmm. see it and they're like, well, I have this special case and I want to add something to sure. Netlify CMS. Or, you know, maybe they just see something like this, right? And yeah. it's like, well, there's this other API that you guys don't take advantage of. Yeah. And, you know, how do people get involved with that? Yeah, you just hop on GitHub. Well, first of all, NetlifyCMS.org is the site. And so you can go there. We have a, a page, I believe, that's titled Community. And so that has information about how to, you know, just get in, talk. We have a chatting Gitter that I'm hoping to migrate over mm -hmm. to Slack soon and some other some other channels. Um, and then beyond that is the GitHub repo. You can right. get on there, look at issues, open issues. Um, if you want something, there's a good chance there's already an issue open. Right. And so we really want people to go onto those issues. And if you thumb up the original post for an issue, like that is the way because I can sort by how many reactions that issue got yeah. to really get, that's that's the best metric we have for gauging what everybody really, right. really wants. And the next thing we're working on is pretty much based on that metric. And so that's the best thing you can do. And then of course, like you said, if you wanna contribute something and maybe it's not that high on our radar, like a, you know, Amazon Git provider or whatever their Git provider thing right. is, you know, you could, you could write that and contribute it and, you know, just be ready to, respond to whatever we say <laughs> and maybe you know that's uh, that yeah. I always feel bad we have these people that come in and do such awesome work and we value our contributors we value everything that they do and um, and so but there's always a little bit of back and forth to get, make sure we're getting what right. we need for everyone no that um, makes sense but yeah yeah we're, we're very very open to contributions yeah we've had that conversation with several open source maintainers on the shows mm -hmm. at various times is that Yes, you made a contribution. Yes, it's valuable. And yes, you created a whole bunch of work for us so that we can make sure that it fits well, right? And so, yeah, a lot of times we, we get that caveat where it's like, yeah, you know, we, we may be slow. We may have a bunch of questions. Right. We may do a bunch of validation work on it. Right. And we may not accept it right away because we just don't have the time or bandwidth right now yeah. to make yeah. sure that it fits, right? Yeah. That it that yeah. it's in line with what we want. Yeah. So, yeah, that makes sense. But yeah. I can also see somebody looking at it and saying, I want to get involved or I see something here that mm -hmm. I want to do mm -hmm. and it could be a bug fix it could be right. a spelling mistake it yep. could be you know and, yep. and things like that are yeah, are super small. easy and you know and then yeah Sean takes a minute and he looks at it and he goes yeah that's a spelling mistake and right. he you know you yeah, accept pretty small request, yeah you know? exactly yeah. so yeah it's you know we're very open to that and you know Netlify CMS is such a great place to learn um, yep. we haven't dug much into this I'd like to get into really mentoring and setting up a community that has a, a culture of mentoring because it's a front end project you're writing React there's so many simple issues you can yeah. get you just learn um, and so I really want to make sure that we're you know in the future hopefully being able to take better advantage of that and so yeah, so yeah we want to stay open to those pull requests but the community's been really forgiving with our sometimes taking time to get things in especially yeah. when it's a big pull request kind of thing so. yeah well into the mentorship point too I think a lot of people they're, they're like well I want a mentor and they're not really taking into account that they have to do a bunch of work too in order to make the mentorship yes, work yes, right yes and it's so time. it's time and so yeah you know if you want to get involved you want to get 
I mean, and this is something I tell people anyway. I wrote a book on how to get a job as a developer, and it's nice. You know, you know, if you wanted to work at a company like Netlify, I mean, this is a good way to get to know people at Netlify, sure, right? Sure. But the other thing is, is that yeah, you know, if you just want the mentorship, if you want to be involved, yeah, go submit these pull requests. You know, yeah. start the dialogue. Yeah. And then you'll get feedback. No, this doesn't fit with the project. No, this doesn't fit with the style that we do these things in. You can take the steps then to learn, okay, so what do I need to be doing? What Mm -hmm. kinds of things do they Mm -hmm. want me to be working on? And then you can, you know, as you move up, then it's like, okay, well, I kind of trust you at this level. Right. And so then you can learn things at the next level. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I totally agree. If I... If I, you know, found myself without a job right now, I would find where I wanted to work that had some kind of open source culture. I would hit their open source repos and just knock their socks off. Like, that's that's your best. And it's not guaranteed. They don't owe you anything. It's open source. But that's your best shot. (laughs) Well, the thing is, is then what happens in a lot of cases, especially if they're actively involved in those open source Mm -hmm. projects, is then, you know, boss guy comes in and says, we need another coder guy or coder girl come in here, right? Yeah. and knock it out so then they're going to go well, this yeah. guy Sean he's yeah. contributed 20 pull requests exactly right yeah. and we've accepted 10 of them yeah. and we're working through the other ones but they look pretty good right right right. And you're already top of mind like right. you, can't, you can't get and, that in an and, and they don't have to train you on right. how this stuff works yep. so it's yep. it's a win-win you know yep. you just absolutely showed them that you're less work to hire yeah. than somebody else exactly exactly so, and yeah, that you're you're so, super interested so yeah, yeah. yep agreed so I guess the last question I have is, is let's say that I want to set this up for my team, you know, we're going to unplug at least that piece, right, from mm-hmm. Netlify. Sure. How do you set it up? Like what goes into it? Do you just pull the library in and just... That definitely works. The most popular way to implement Netlify CMS, so really you have the CMS that, that you know, it's just a, it's a JavaScript app. It has a config file and, you know, you have to write in so it knows, you know, where your files are and what mm-hmm. fields to edit and all those kinds of things, what widgets you want to use. The easiest way to start is to use a starter. Um, and so if you go onto our doc site and hit that get, get started button, I think we're like featuring three starters right now. We just have three links, but we really need to get like a whole page of starters because right. they're, they're out there. But we have like a Gatsby starter that's easily our top entry point. Right. So, you know, um, I, there's an 11D yeah, starter. Yeah, we're using that, 11D. Yeah, Andy Bell just made an 11D starter, starter called Hilia that uses Netlify CMS. Um, and I actually put a PR in to because I wanted to see how I hadn't worked with 11D with Netlify CMS yet, mm-hmm. and so I, I set up a really cool system with their Nunjux templates where it's reusing. It works pretty good. Yeah, it's reusing the Nunjux templates and it's rendering them in the browser, and it's super super cool. Starters like that already give you a site that you know, looks decent, has a has a config that's already mm-hmm. set up for the CMS, and then that gives you that starting point to go. So that's definitely what I recommend. Worst sure. case, if it totally doesn't fit, at least now you've played with the CMS in context text and then you yeah. kind of know where to go from there so. yeah well we're using it anyway and i'd like to be able to essentially yeah start contributing back right and nice. so it's hey we need this feature for our 11 setup and then yeah. you yeah. know we can either contribute it back or we can say well you know here's this little thing that you can uh-huh. side load on it or yeah. whatever yeah. right absolutely yeah there's you know. th- th- those integration points are really the hot area right now that we're going to be focusing on is you know how, how does it what does it look like to integrate a Gatsby site or an 11D site or right. a Hexo or Hugo or Jekyll or whatever you know how do we integrate these uh, these static site generators and because that's where all the pain points really that we're hearing are now yeah you know so that's kind of where we're focusing next yeah I, I guess that's another thing that I hadn't really thought about asking but it seems pretty obvious is you're writing a CMS that works with, like you said, Gatsby, Jekyll, 
whatever. <laughs> 11, Some weird right? thing you made, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Hugo, maybe. I mean, you sure, know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right? Hugo's a primary, yeah. So how do you target all of these different systems? Because in some ways, they're all structured kind of the same and in yeah. other ways they do things just a little different um so it's mostly through ignoring <laughs> the static site generator which is what we're now doing the opposite of oh i gotcha um, so when you ignore the static site generator you say i don't care what your static site generator is just tell me where to put everything markdown yaml json toml yeah that's it and then your static site generator can decide what it wants to do with those files right so that works really great but then you have a superpowered static site generator like Gatsby or Gridsome that are doing these crazy things or Nuxt. Uh, we had yeah. Sarah Drasner who's uh, just loves Vue and so she's working with Nuxt and I assumed it would just work and she's like, no, I'm creating a custom Nuxt module and like two weeks later, she's like, yeah, I'm still working on it. <laughs> like, oh, it's, a whole, it's a huge pain and I'm sure it's because she probably didn't touch it because she was busy with other stuff but yeah. it's, a, it's a pain point. And so we've gotten to a certain point by technically working with anything by ignoring everything. Right. Now we need to say, okay, everyone's using mostly, you know, static site generators a b and c so let's make happy paths there so right. we have like we have a gatsby plugin that we mm -hmm. made about a year ago i was gonna say are you using plugins to say this one does this and that one does that we're getting there we're yeah. getting there i thought we could avoid it but there we cannot avoid it at all so uh, we have a, a gatsby plugin so if you go to uh, gatsby's plugins page and you uh -huh. they're all like automatically sorted by npm downloads so right. you scroll through the first cms plugin you see is contentful naturally mm -hmm. and then um, the next CMS plugin you see is Netlify CMS which is actually surprising to me because there's so many huge CMSs that I'm sure people are using with Gatsby so maybe they don't need the plugin so much or they don't you know some of them don't have a plugin mm -hmm. I don't know but a lot of people are using that Gatsby plugin and I estimate at least half of Netlify CMS sites are probably Gatsby. Oh, so wow. we really, and I think that's probably conservative. So we really need to make sure that that path works. So we have that, and it might be due in a large part to that Gatsby plugin. Right. So that's that's kind of patching into their Webpack build and doing horrible things to it that we shouldn't be to build our <laughs> to build our CMS within theirs. Yeah. And that, and for anyone that's listening to this that uses Gatsby and Netlify CMS, and you think that last thing wasn't funny because you're experiencing these crazy long builds, um, uh, we have our our new maintainer of res and his first thing I'm putting on his desk when he gets in on Monday is to work on that problem. So that's, um, so those pain points, those integrations are definitely top of mind for us right now. Yeah. Well, that, that makes sense. Right. And again, it just comes down to who's using it. What do they yeah. need? Yeah. Where, you know, where's that pain, right? hundred percent for a while. Yeah. It would have been putting the content where it needed to go mm -hmm. or, you know, structuring this or structuring that. And yeah, now it's okay. Well, I'm a subcase of your case, right. Gatsby, right. and so, mm -hmm. you know, that's what we need now. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I, can, I can see that. Totally. Back when functional programming was making its resurgence, I found it really interesting that a lot of people were moving over there, and it almost felt like it was on hype, and I didn't really understand the power of functional programming until I learned Elixir. Elixir is a functional programming language. It's built on the Erlang virtual machine, and it really does some interesting things and makes you build apps in a different way. But what's really fascinating about it is the speed of the applications, the ability to distribute work easily, and just how it manages the functional programming and all of the nice things about it so that you don't have to worry about side effects and a lot of the other things that come out of functional programming. Plus, pattern matching in Elixir is a killer feature. If you're looking for a new language that you want to learn that is going to make a difference for you and give you the opportunity to challenge some of your thinking and find a new way of doing it, Elixir is a great way to go. And we have a podcast now on Elixir called Elixir Mix. And you can find that at elixirmix.com. I don't know if I have any other questions for you. I'm, I'm assuming you're online somewhere where people can find you. Yes, Twitter, I am. Twitter, GitHub. <laughs> I am. 
I am uh, at Urquhart, my last name, and no one can spell it, but it's E-R-Q-U-H-A-R-T. And uh, that I'm that on Twitter, on GitHub, and, and everywhere. So that's the, the place yep. to, to find me. So my website sucks, so there's no, <laughs> no one giving, <laughs> giving that out. One day I'll work on it. Yeah. But that's it. What nationality is Urquhart? It is actually Scottish. Scottish. And it is Nor- there's, there's a mount, uh, not castle. <laughs> I know my family history. Uh, it's a castle <laughs> called Urquhart in, uh, in Scotland. It's the Scottish name. It normally starts with the letter U. And so that's the, and so it ended up being an E for my family. But yeah, Scottish in, in origin. I am not Scottish. <laughs> so a lot of questions there. Yeah. <laughs> so, Good deal. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, thanks for coming and uh, talking Absolutely. through this with us. Cool. And let me complain a little bit about some of my issues with LYCMS. I love when people complain to me. Jack, it's, just, it's my favorite thing. <laughs> oh, you should be paying me then. Huh? Is, that what, is that what I'm hearing? This is therapeutic. I love this. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I should be paying you. Yeah, that's. we'll talk. I'll bill you. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thanks, Sean. Awesome. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.